Here's where we're going in this series. We're calling it in case you missed it because we're going to go take a look at some relatively obscure stories from the Old Testament. The Bible is split into two testaments. The Old Testament is everything before Jesus was born into the earth. And then the New Testament, the back part, the smaller part of the Bible, that, is, that starts when Jesus was born, right? So Old Testament, New Testament, a lot of people don't realize that the, this whole thing was written by one author. God's the author of the Bible, and he spoke through many individuals through the course of history, but what I love about the Bible is it tells one simple, consistent story, and we're going to prove that today. We're going to show how there's a story that's hidden in the Old Testament that shows up later in Jesus' words. Jesus talks about it. He makes reference to this obscure story from the Old Testament. So in case you missed it, we're going to show it to you. But I want to, what, I want to, what we really want to show you is just the brilliance and the beauty of the mind of God. I, Tracy and I years ago started watching the show Lost. Raise your hand if you, have, if you tried to watch the show Lost, if you're old enough to know what I'm talking about. Okay, we watched it. It was really interesting at first. And there were all these loose ends that they were, that they're, you know, these things they were introducing were like, I can't wait to find out what happens with this thing. And I can't wait to find out what the black smoke is. And there was all this, uh, I can't wait to see who this character is really, is this a good guy or a bad guy? There was all this, it was very intriguing. But by the end of the series, like, it was so clear that the writer of that series had no clue how he was going to tie up all the loose ends. And by the time we got to the end, I see some of you shaking. This cut, like you're like, "Amen, brother, amen." Preach it. By the end of the by the end of the show, we felt like we had just wasted years of our lives watching this stupid show, because the guy had no clue, or whoever it was, guy or gal, had no clue where they were going. They had no. They just probably started writing some great episodes that would get you hooked, but they didn't think about how it was going to end, and it was dumb. Sorry. You can see I'm still working through this with my, my counselor. God, yeah, Lost was the perfect name for that series. The, the writer was Lost. God is not like that writer. When we see the very first words of the Bible, in the beginning, God created heavens and the earth. From the very first words of the Bible, and these things span thousands of years, from the very first words to the very last words of the Bible, it is one consistent story, and God knows how to tie up the loose ends. The reason is because he knew the beginning, he knew the end from the beginning. He knew what he was doing. He knew what his plan was all along. And what I love about God's word, and I hope that you I hope that you study the Word of God like we do here at Alpine. I hope that you allow it to have a, a good, a, an important place in your life because God's Word, you're, we always find these gems in God's Word where we, we're reading something back in Genesis or Exodus or Leviticus or Numbers, these first four or five books of the Bible. We're reading something in there, and then the more we understand what Jesus did, the more we, because this whole book is about Jesus. So the more that we understand the story of Jesus and what he did for us, then the more we understand and take joy in reading the Old Testament, because we read something, we're like, I think they're talking about Jesus right there. And that's one of the things that you're going to see this morning as we look into the story. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Numbers chapter 21, because that's where we're going to be today, in case you missed it. And I don't know, just to kind of get us started today, I don't know if you've, 
you've, have, raise your hand if you've ever visited Mount Rushmore. You see Mount Rushmore on the screen here. Tracy and I did this on our honeymoon. We drove past Mount Rushmore on our honeymoon. It was, it was wonderful. But in case you missed it, did you know what the backside of Mount Rushmore looks like? In case you missed it. There it is. A lot of people don't get to see that side of the landmark. Anyway, all right. Just kind of testing out to see if you're awake today, if you're going to laugh or not. I, I can't, maybe you're going to be a tough crowd today. So be it. All right, the snake on a pole. This is a story that is referenced by Jesus in John chapter 3 when he's talking to Nicodemus, who's a Pharisee. He's a religious leader. Now, Jesus says this. It's probably the most famous scripture verse in the whole Bible, John 3, 16. He says, for this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Most famous verse in the Bible for good reason, because it tells us the heart of God. It tells us his method for saving people. This this verse, if you've never really understood this verse, this verse contains all of it. Why did God send his son into the world? Because he loves you. Some people get the wrong idea about God. Some people think that God is this cosmic killjoy, that he's just a a mean authoritarian figure. Maybe you get that idea because you grew up in a church that taught that. Maybe you get that idea because you have parents who are very authoritative in your life. And so your, your picture of God has been shaped by your picture of authority. That happens for many of us. But this verse tells us what God's heart is for us. God's heart is love. He loves people. He loves you. He wants a relationship with you. And he loves you so much that he gave his one and only son. He's talking about Jesus there. By the way, Jesus is speaking these words. So Jesus said, God the Father loves you so much that he sent me so that everyone who would believe in Jesus would not perish but have eternal life. So that's the heart of God. It talks about what Jesus did, in essence, and then it talks about our response. And our response, pay attention to this, our response to this gracious God who gave his son to die on the cross for us. Our response is to believe. That's our response. The Bible teaches, this is called the good news, the Bible teaches all over the place that if we would place our faith in Jesus Christ, then we would be saved. Now some people, very religious people, probably people like Nicodemus, whom Jesus was talking to in this story in John 3. Nicodemus was a Pharisee who was who was all about the law. He was a a teacher and a student of the law, so he understood the Old Testament. He understood the Ten Commandments. He understood everything that God said. And Nicodemus was one of these guys, and maybe you know people like this. Maybe you are a person like this. Nicodemus is one of these guys who's trying to sort of scratch and claw his way to God. Nicodemus thought that if he was good enough that if he was smart enough, that he, if he was disciplined enough in his life, that, that maybe then he could earn his way to a relationship with God. See, that's what most religion teaches. Most religion teaches that you get to God by being a good person. You know, it's this idea that if you can, you've got bad in your life, but if you do good to outweigh the bad, at the end of the day, if you can tip the scales, then, then you're good. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible, the good news of the Bible is just simply this, that if you would believe, this is what Jesus is saying, if you would believe in Jesus, if you would believe in him, that's the only way to be saved. You can't work for it. You can't try to be a good person. It's just simply believing in what Jesus did on the cross. That's John 3, 16. But right before that, Jesus made reference to this obscure passage, six verses in the Old Testament. 
And Jesus says this in John 3.15, and this is what we're going to look at today in case you missed it. As Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. He's talking about himself. So that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. We're going to study this today. Let's pray one more time before we jump into it. God, I pray that you would help us to understand your incredible word. God, that we would open our eyes to the brilliance of your message that wasn't just stumbled upon in John 3, 15 and 16, but God, that was part of your plan from the very beginning. And I pray as we open up your word in the Old Testament that you would show us, God, that this really was your plan all along. And I pray that you would allow us to respond to it. In Jesus' name, amen. Here's where it comes from, John 3, 15 and 16. Jesus is speaking 2,000 years ago. More than 1,000 years before that, we see this story in Numbers 21. This is, this is the Israelites. They're going from Egypt, slavery in Egypt. They're heading toward the promised land. It says the people of Israel set out for Mount Hor, taking the road to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. But the people grew impatient with the long journey. They'd been there for almost 40 years at this point. By the way, just so you know, they're just about to get to the promised land, which, which, which they've been waiting for for 40 years. The people grew impatient with the journey, and they began to speak against God and Moses, who was leading them out. And they said, why have you brought us out of Egypt to die here in the wilderness? And if you know anything about the story, they said that kind of stuff all the time. For 40 years, they were saying that kind of stuff, grumbling and complaining. Are we there yet? I got to go pee, you know, that kind of stuff. For those of you who have taken long road trips, it's like one of those things. This is like the longest road trip ever. And they said, there's nothing to eat here and nothing to drink. And we hate this horrible manna, which is what they had to eat, by the way. So they did have something to eat. They just were sick of it. They were, they were not appreciative of what God had done for them. And so just a little reminder of what's going on here. This is called sin. And here's how we always like to define sin here at Alpine. Sin is when you trust and act on your own opinions and feelings rather than trusting and acting on God's truth. God had already spoken truth to them. I'm going to bring, them, I'm going to bring you out of Egypt. You're in slavery in Egypt. They were. It was brutal. They were in, the Israelites had been in Egypt for 400 years in slavery. And so this gracious act of God to, through Moses to bring them out of slavery and toward the promised land. But now they want to go back to slavery? That's ridiculous. So what's happening in the, in the desert, and we see this all throughout the 40 years, is they're just, they have these feelings, they have these urges, they're hungry, they're thirsty, they're tired, they're impatient, and they act on those things instead of trusting that God has a plan, trusting that God's going to come through on his promise, like we sang about this morning. And so they're, they're sinning because they're trusting their own opinions and feelings rather than trusting what God has already revealed to them. By the way, that's what our culture is always trying to get us to do. Young people hear this. The culture's message is trust your feelings, trust your opinions. That's what the culture says. That's what all the influencers are saying. That's what the culture is saying, is whatever you feel, whatever you think, however you feel right now, trust it, because you're a good person. What could possibly go wrong? The Bible says that that's called sin, is to trust your feelings and to put your feelings or your opinions above what God has already revealed to you in his word. And so keep that in mind because the Bible also teaches that the wages of sin 
is death. That when you go, when you follow your opinions and feelings rather than submitting yourself to what God has said, then, then you'll die. And that plays out in this story as well. Let's go back to Numbers. So the Lord sent poisonous snakes among the people, and many were bitten and died. And then the people came to Moses and cried out, we've sinned, they realized it, we've sinned by speaking against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord will take away the snakes. And so Moses did. Moses prayed for the people. Moses interceded for the people. And here's the end of that story. Remember I said it was only six verses. Verse eight and nine, it says this, then the Lord told Moses, make a replica of a poisonous snake and attach it to a pole. And all who are bitten will live if they simply look at it. And so Moses did. He made a snake out of bronze. He attached it to a pole. And then anyone who was bitten by a snake could look at the bronze snake and be healed. End of the story. Now again, if you're just, if you're just reading your Bible, you might just kind of fly right through that. Well, that's kind of a weird story. And then they move, the Israelites move on to the next camp. That's kind of strange. I wonder what that was all about. And so we're going to make sure that you understand what that was all about because this is a powerful example. And Jesus has a reason for referencing this right before he, said, he speaks the words of John 3.16. And I, I want you to see it because it's amazing and it's beautiful. Here's the first thing you need to understand. God's instructions to Moses were confusing for two reasons. Number one, snakes were bad. Can I get an amen? amen. Snakes are bad. And number two, Idols are bad, <laughs> right? And so it really did take simple faith for the Israelites to obey. In fact, it took, it took simple faith for Moses to obey. Let's break this down. The first time we see a snake in the Bible, do you know where it is? It's in Genesis, right? Adam and Eve, they're in the Garden of Eden, and, uh, and God had said, look, you can eat, you can eat from any tree, in the gar- any tree in the Garden of Eden except for this one right in the middle. And just like any kid, They're going to go to that one right in the middle, right? And the Bible says that a serpent comes, and this serpent represents Satan, bad. A serpent comes and says to Eve, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Which, by the way, is not what God said. Satan always deceives and twists words. God said you can eat from any tree you want except this one right here. So God had given all these other trees for them to eat from, but Eve just wanted to touch that one, wanted that forbidden fruit. And so Satan tricked Eve, and Adam and Eve sinned. And what did they do? They trusted their own opinions and feelings rather than trusting what God had already revealed to them. And that's sin, and so sin entered the world. And sin has worked like that ever since. So first of all, Serpents are evil. Serpents are bad. And it's a poisonous serpent, which is the worst kind of serpent. And he says, make a poisonous snake and put it up on a pole. So number one, Moses was probably like, what is going on here? I don't understand this. But that's not even the worst part. The worst part is that God had already revealed to the people of Israel through Moses the Ten Commandments. And the second of the Ten Commandments was really simple. Anyone know? No idols. Don't make an idol. 
You should not make an idol. And right, right as Moses got those Ten Commandments earlier in the story in Exodus, he comes down the mountain after meeting with God, and his brother Aaron had made an idol at the urging of the people. And he had just seen that. His brother Aaron had made this golden calf. And if you remember that story, they had to pulverize the calf, calf and they made Kool-Aid out of it, and everybody had to drink that idol just as kind of a lesson. I'm sure that wasn't a good couple of nights afterward. So probably Moses is sitting here saying, number one, it's a serpent. That's a bad thing. Why am I making a serpent? And number two, I'm not supposed to be making anything. You said yourself, God, don't make idols. Why am I making an idol? I'm making a brazen image. And I'm putting it, what do you do with idols? You put it up on a pole, you lift it up so that everyone could worship it. So this had to be really sort of an exercise of faith for Moses to do this in the first place. It kind of reminds me of how Abraham was told to go sacrifice his only son. And Abraham, in faith, went to sacrifice the son. Of course, you know the rest of that story, that he didn't end up having to do it. But Abraham proved his faith, even against all odds. Because that's what faith is. Faith, Simple faith is just saying, God, you said it, so I'm going to do it. It doesn't make sense, but I'm going to do it. So Moses did this bizarre thing. He lifts up this idol of a snake on a pole, and he says to the people, if you're bitten by a snake, look at it, and you'll live. And they did. So the people who had simple faith, who just looked up to that snake on a pole, didn't die from the snake bite. That's the first thing. Now let's jump to the main thing. If you haven't put two and two together yet, let me do it for you right now. The bronze snake, it turns out, foreshadowed God's plan for saving humanity. And we don't really see this until Jesus said his words in John 3.15 and 16. That's probably when you start connecting the dots and now you go back to the story and you reread the story in the light of the cross and you're like, oh, that's what it was about. Jesus became sin for those bitten by sin, so that we would be rescued just by simply looking to the cross. That was what this story was about all along. So let's look at it one more time. These verses we started with. Now let's look at it with the benefit of having understood the story. As Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. See, he's putting himself in the place of that bronze snake. Jesus is the bronze snake. Now in theology, this is called a type of Christ. A type of Christ is a person or a thing in the Old Testament that foreshadows Jesus in the New Testament. It's called a type of Christ. The bronze snake is a type of Christ. It's a foreshadowing of Jesus himself, as Moses lifted up that bronze snake on a pole, so the Son of Man, Jesus is the Son of Man, so Jesus must be lifted up on a cross, right, so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. And then, of course, now, now that we have the context for it, then Jesus hits a home run with John 3.16. He says, because this is how much God loved the world. He gave his one and only Son, Jesus, so that everyone who believes in him, simply believes in him, will not perish, 
but have eternal life. This is the gospel message. What is the way to salvation? What is the way to forgiveness of sins? What is the way, the pathway to a relationship with God? There's only one way, and it's to look to Jesus on the cross and say, I recognize you did this. For it's to simply believe that Jesus on the cross is enough. Now, I remember when I was a kid, we used to sing a song in church. Some of you might know this if you grew up in church. We used to sing a song that went like this, Lift Jesus Higher. Anybody know that song? Lift Jesus Higher. Was it just my church? Lift him up for the world to see. He said, if I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men unto me. And we used to sing that song in kids' church, and I was like, yeah, that's what we're doing. We're lifting Jesus higher. We're, lift, we're praising Jesus. That's what, I thought it, that's what I thought the song meant. The song comes from this verse, and that's not what that verse is talking about. The verse isn't talking about lifting Jesus up in worship. The verse is talking about lifting Jesus up in crucifixion. Jesus was nailed to a cross and was lifted up so that if people would look to Jesus, this gory image of a man being brutally murdered on a cross, that that's what we have to look to to be saved? That's exactly what we have to look to. Paul said it like this, the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 5.21. For God made Christ, and I wonder if Paul had the bronze snake in mind. I think he did. I think he had the bronze snake in mind when he said this. For God made Christ, who never sinned, to become sin itself. When Jesus was nailed to the cross, he became the serpent. He became sin itself. The reason that God told Moses to put a serpent up there is because the people were being bitten by serpents. And because he knew that Jesus was going to become sin, and the people are bitten by sin, but that the Bible says so that we could be made right with God through Christ by just simply looking to the cross and saying, I recognize that what you're doing there, you're doing for me, and I trust in you, and I put all of my faith in you. And some of you say that it just seems too simple. What about me? What am I, shouldn't I bring something to the table don't I have to work? Don't I have to do something? Because there's something in every, built into every one of us that makes us want to work for our salvation. We want to earn it. But God, from the very beginning, God said, nope, you can't earn it. You can't earn it. Jesus earned it by becoming sin, by becoming that snake on a pole, by being lifted up, and then three days later, by being, arising from the dead and defeating sin and death in the grave. And still, some people, even to this day, and I wonder if Nicodemus even felt this way, to this day, just say, that just seems too simple. I can't believe it. But look at what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 1.21. He said, since God in his wisdom saw to it that the world would never know him through human wisdom, he has used our foolish preaching, and this is the message Paul preached. He has used our foolish preaching to save those who believe. Paul had been a Pharisee, just like Nicodemus. Paul was scratching and clawing his way before he met Jesus. Paul thought he was working his way toward God in a relationship with God. Paul was patting himself on the back, and then he met Jesus, and Jesus said, there's only one way, and it's by trusting in me, by simply trusting in me and looking to the cross. 
and how foolish that must have sounded to Paul and to so many people to whom Paul preached. But it is the wisdom of God for salvation. This is the message. And by the way, some of you might be thinking right now, where have I seen a snake on a pole before? It's the symbol of medicine, isn't it? Snake on a pole is a symbol of medicine. And some people say this comes from Greek mythology, and there is a snake on a pole in Greek mythology, but Numbers 21 predates Greek mythology. So put that in your theological pipe and smoke it. All right, we got one more thing to say before we finish this story. Because this is, this is really kind of almost a little bit of a, an asterisk to the story, but it's, you've, got, you've got to understand it. Later in history, in the Old Testament, the snake on a pole actually became an idol. So this is a reminder for those of us in the church that God's message can easily get corrupted in future generations. So Numbers 21, we see it at first, and then Jesus talks about it in John 3, but it actually appears one other time, and it's in 2 Kings chapter 18. This is while they're in the promised land. The people are living in the promised land. It's generations after the snake on a pole incident, and it says King Hezekiah removed the pagan shrines. This is in Israel. Smashed down the sacred pillars in Israel and cut down the Asherah poles in Israel. That was all pagan stuff. And he broke up the bronze serpent that Moses had made because the people of Israel had been offering sacrifices to it. The bronze serpent was called Nehushtan. Nehushtan literally means, if you translate, translate that, Nehushtan literally means a bronze thing. That's what it was called. They called it Nehushtan. 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 That was like saying bronze thingy. Bronze thingy. Bronze. I worship you, bronze thingy. How stupid. A thing can't save you. But what's interesting is this, this, this symbol that Moses made that symbolized Jesus, really, at the end. That symbolized the power of God. That symbolized, essentially, faith. In God, simple faith, that's really what it symbolized. Simple faith in God's plan of salvation had itself become an idol. And in our lives, I think that can happen. So many religions can, can start, even good religions like Christianity can start with something good, like the cross is good. But for so many people, the cross just becomes an idol. The cross just becomes a, a worthless symbol. The cross just becomes a thing. A bronze thing or a gold thing that you, that you wear around your neck. So many people walk around with crosses and they deny its power. They don't even understand what it is. They, they don't even have a relationship with God. They've never even looked to Jesus for salvation. And yet they have a cross. So many people say that they love Jesus by wearing that symbol, but they don't even understand the symbol. And this happened all the way back in 2 Kings 18 and Hezekiah destroyed it. Because that serpent had become something it was never meant to be. So for some of you today, maybe you, you've grown up in the church, but maybe for you, you're, you've wandered away from the real meaning behind the cross. You've wandered away from a relationship with the God who came and died on the cross for your sins and for mine because he loved us so much. And my message to you is to come back to that God. Turn back to, to Jesus, a, a real person, God 
in the flesh who went to the cross because he loves us so much and wants a relationship with us. He doesn't want it just to be this kind of worthless, meaningless, going through the motions religion. He wants a real relationship with you. And some of you are here today and you would, you would say, I need that. I need to kind of come to the cross again, afresh, anew. Maybe you really did come to faith in Jesus years ago. I did it when I was six years old. Maybe for some of you, you have a similar story, but it's, it's become something else for you. And I want to invite you to come back to the cross. And others of you today would, would say, I've never actually even responded to Jesus. I've never placed my faith in Jesus. I've been just coming to church thinking that was enough. I've been trying to be a better person, cleaning up my act a little bit, thinking that's what God wanted. But maybe some of you just have missed this message that was in there all along, the simple message that if you would just look to the cross and say, Jesus, what you did there, you did for me. The simple truth is that your parents' faith can't save you. Your grandparents' faith can't save you. Husbands, your wife's faith can't save you. Wives, your husband's faith can't save you. The Bible leaves it to every individual human being to make a decision to trust in Jesus or not, to look up to the cross or not. And if you've never done that today, I want to invite you to do that. If you've never placed your faith, if you recognize you're bitten by sin and you've never placed your faith in Jesus, we don't do this all the time at Alpine, but I felt really strongly that we needed to do this this morning to give you an opportunity, young and old, to place your faith in Jesus Christ. When I did it as a six-year-old, my mom led me in a really simple prayer. We call it like a sinner's prayer. And I want to invite you to do that with, with us today as well. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes, just every one of us? The worship team's going to come up. We're going to close with a, a worship song in just a moment. But before we do any of that, I want to just ask you, if you're here today and you would say, I want to place my faith in Jesus Christ. I recognize I've been bitten by sin. And I want to look to the cross. I've never done that, or I'm not sure I've ever done that. I want to look to the cross today. If that's you today, just with every head bowed and every eye closed, I just real quick, would you just slip your hand up? Just, real, just slip your hand up wherever you are if you want to pray that prayer for the first time. Just slip it up and then just slip it right back down. It's between you and God. Just slip it up and slip it right back down. Thank you. And then I want to invite you to pray a prayer like this, just in your heart. In fact, everybody, encourage everybody to pray this. Say, Lord Jesus, thank you for going to the cross for my sin. Thank you for going through that pain on my account. And today I confess that I need it. I recognize I'm broken and sinful. And I lift my eyes up to the cross. And I recognize my help comes from you. Jesus, I receive your forgiveness. I receive your salvation. And I pray, Lord God, that you would help me to live a life that honors you from this day forward. In Jesus' name, amen.